0: Come down to the little garden with me Come go with me Come go and see
1: You're listening to SGB Weekly. This is the show all about the 626 and the people who call it home. My name is Chris Greenspawn. Are you still the same? Carry home I have returned Originally, SGV Weekly was going to be something really different. Instead of news and interviews, I was just going to write five-minute-long restaurant reviews. No expensive places, no recording in restaurants, and no rating system. While that's still obviously a money-making idea, there's one crucial reason why I didn't go forward with it. I'm not a foodie. I like good food as much as the next person, and I love giving a shout-out to my favorite places, mix bowl, but I would have hated making that show before I even started. And I did. First of all, I write stupid things about food. When I wrote a review of Papusa's Emas and Covina, I said that my meal was, quote, floating on an angel's cloud of fluffy red rice. Ugh. But more importantly, it felt like maybe it wasn't for people in the San Gabriel Valley. Around that time, I became really self-conscious and didn't want to depict the area as a food tourism zone. So I shifted over to the Meteor show format we have now, stories about who we are and where we live from a critical perspective. Funny thing about that though, you can't talk about the SGV in 2020 without talking about foodie culture, and Asian restaurants play a big role in that. This week we'll hear how the Valley's culinary profile rose and what it means for the quality of life for our workers. I'm Chris Greenspawn, it's SGB Weekly. Now for some local news. The Tribune reports ballots in LA County will now be collected daily after the fire that was set in a Baldwin Park Dropbox. The original collection time was every two days. The county is offering replacement ballots to those who used the box after 10.10am last Saturday. Registrar recorder Dean Logan said 230 pieces were found in the box, but it's hard to tell how many ballots were inside. Baldwin Park Police have not yet revealed if they have a suspect, but the FBI is assisting the investigation of the fire that was reported at 8 p.m. last Sunday. The Pasadena Star reports the memorial to Anthony McClain was removed from Pintoresca Park, where he was killed by police on August 15th. City and police spokespeople say they removed the tribute and increased police presence to build community trust. They said that they're not opposed to the memorial, but that it brings out loiterers who drink and smoke, and that there's been an increase in service calls around the park. BLM's Pasadena chapter protested the removal, and the McLean family's attorney called it a slap in the face by police chief John Perez. The Tribune reports Pomona will vote November 3rd on who gets to sell weed. The existing city code, measure P-O, allows for two dispensaries, but not in downtown or industrial zones. It doesn't allow on-site consumption and has a $12,000 application fee for retailers. Tax revenue would go into the city's general fund. The citizen-backed measure P-M allows for six dispensaries with more lax zoning, a $250 application fee, and potential on-site smoking. Revenue spending would be directed to enforcement, after-school programs, and infrastructure repairs. Radio legend Dave Hull passed away last week at 86. The Hullabalooer was known for getting his hands on Beatles records early, and for having his own ice cream flavor at Baskin-Robbins called Scuzzy. Hull was born in Alhambra. And Montebello celebrated its 100th anniversary last Saturday with a vintage car parade on a 14-mile residential route. When we return, it's a history lesson for the SGV food scene from a writer who's eaten everything.
0: SGV Weekly is supported by Callback Yesterday, a new podcast in which John Raby explores somewhere in time. Love, loss, memory, nostalgia, Mackinac Island, and time travel. If you're a secret fan of the movie, which turns 40 this year, own a time machine shaped like a book, and still talk to your dead loved ones... Maybe this is the podcast for you. Call back yesterday with John Raby. John urges you to support SGV Weekly with a generous donation like he did.
1: Does your Instagram feed need more than just thirst traps and cheese pulls? Follow SGV Weekly for interview clips with everyday people and pictures of the rowdiest cars in the 626.
0: Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Rate and review the show to help us get it out there and make a better program for the San Gabriel Valley.
1: Visit sgvweekly.com for expanded content from each episode and a link to our Patreon. Give if you can, and support citizen journalism. Thanks.
0: Now back to SGV Weekly.
1: Christy Hang's Twitter says she's a food and travel journalist. It also says she's the Duchess of SGV. Her main squeeze is writing about Chinese food on the west side of the valley. Authenticity matters, but not necessarily in the food itself.
2: Certain people open restaurants because it's their livelihood, but they don't think what they do day to day is something special. But when you put a spotlight to them or you ask them certain questions, they get really excited that you would take interest in something so mundane to them, but is so interesting to so many other people.
1: Hank started blogging 15 years ago. She still covers a lot of mom and pops, mostly on Eater. But now her resume includes being Anthony Bourdain's SGV correspondent on Parts Unknown, and showing the San Gabriel Valley in one of the most viral news segments ever, with over 350 million views in China, about supercar meets hosted by super-rich exchange students. So, she's helped put us on the map, though at this point, there are plenty of LA media outlets covering the area as a destination for, quote, "...real Chinese food." We met up in Pasadena to talk about the value of SGV food writing. The Duchess of 626, Christy Hang, is actually from 818 San Fernando Valley, but her parents used to drag her here three days a week.
2: I would ask, how many more exits till we get there? I'm just sitting in the car, car sick all the time. And there was this huge binder that we had that was kind of like an encyclopedia because it was so thick of every single restaurant that we would go to. The car we packed to the roof with all these different takeouts and all these different groceries that we would buy. And we'd go back to the valley where, you know, there was a sizzler. You know, it's, it's improved since then, but it's no SGV. We have great stuff here and we eventually moved here.
1: That was nine years ago. But for years before that, the San Gabriel Valley was where Hang's family did everything.
2: I think one of the really cool memories I have is when Boba started being a thing. I actually remember the first like two or three places that I saw Boba. And that was insane, because prior to that, I had seen Boba in Asia, but it really blew up here. And at that point in time, being, I don't know, in junior high, being in the San Fernando Valley, people didn't know what Boba was at that time. And I remember my friends were like, what are those eyeball things in your drink? Like, what's that? And it was just so crazy to to see trends kind of come here so much quicker before they reach any other cities, even though we were living in L.A.
1: Hang says that was 96-ish, late 90s for sure. She says back then, Boba was only 89 cents at quickly. The boom of Asian-American culture we see in the Valley today came in the 80s and 90s. That's because of two things that happened in the 60s and 70s immigration reforms that mainly supported wealthier, educated migrants and pockets of land becoming available in Monterey Park after white flight.
2: The first Chinese people that were here were Cantonese and Taiwanese and then during the uptick of immigration there were a lot of mainland Chinese people who came here in the last 15-20 years and that put Sichuan food like through the roof. It started getting super, super popular and everything started getting spicy and numbing spice. The effect that this immigration has had on the food culture locally and actually internationally has been insane that the amount of franchises that are coming from overseas to here is insane the fact that they don't change their menu anymore they used to have any franchise that came here would have kind of like a more westernized menu to ease people into it in case the taste buds weren't the same they can legitimately bring and they do now bring the exact menu that they have overseas here and make no apologies for it. They know that people here are willing to eat the real thing and they have a clientele for it. That blows my mind. That wouldn't have happened 20, 30 years ago.
1: The Valley has a huge selection of regional cuisine from Asia. Even for people like Hang who grew up eating around here, there still are unfamiliar dishes. That's why the area's restaurants are so important to both immigrants and those born in America, because they provide a connection to people's roots.
2: Well, prior to quarantine, I was, there was this place called Malubianbian, and I'm personally not from mainland China. My family's not from mainland China, but I was just so taken by their dish. Um, They kind of do these skewers, and it's kind of like a shopping experience, right? So you go to their so-called, yeah, so you go to the fridge, you open it up, there's a basket, you pick out all the skewers you want, and they have this kind of like a hot pot, and then you cook your skewers in this hot pot. And so that was actually a chain. That came from mainland China is a very popular chain, and to see people who are not Asian lining in, lining up in this, they had lines that went up to for two hours when they first opened. To see so many people that were not Asian trying something new just made me excited for the SJV, excited for the foodie culture that people are going out of their comfort zone.
1: So, Malu Bien Bien, that's um,
2: it's in Roland Heights.
1: It- yeah, it, it's at uh, the Yes Plaza, right? Yes. Is that like Chinese street food,
2: mm-hmm. essentially?
1: Yeah. Okay, what would you ballpark one person's bill at Malou Oh, God. Um, 30,
2: 25,
1: 30? So it, it's a treat <laughs> here. It's not street food here.
2: Yeah, it's not street food here, which oh. hurts my soul, because I feel like street food, you want to pay street food prices, but...
1: As the more expensive and experiential places are giving customers a taste of street food from another country, they're usually relying on immigrant labor and poverty wages.
2: And some of these people may be undocumented. Some of these people are being paid under the table. And you don't really get to know those people. You get to see the nice menus, the beautiful dishes that come out. And that's just something you don't think about because it's kind of like, well, if you don't see it, it's not a problem, right?
1: Out of sight, out of mind.
2: Right. But, for example, like, you could see masseuses, like, on their bikes riding from store to store trying to give service. Like, I'll work here for an hour, then they'll go to another shop because they were getting paid $15 an hour. But at $15, they would only get a couple bucks of that. The rest of that money goes to the massage parlor. So that's way under minimum wage. But yeah. they would be living in these um, apartments that would be 10 people to a small little apartment.
1: Boarding homes.
2: Exactly. And that happens to a lot of people. And you hear stories and sometimes they tell you about it, Um, not when they know that you're a writer, but when you're just making conversation. But it happens a lot. And, you know, you could choose to ignore it or you can choose to acknowledge that it happens. But it's definitely very prevalent.
1: Hang has reported on housing before in Hong Kong, covering the coffin apartments, tiny, unsafe dwellings not so different from what workers face here. If there's something she does locally that's pro-labor, it's promoting hundreds of more affordable businesses in the San Gabriel Valley where immigrants eat and make a living. She's gone especially hard on this during the pandemic, posting constant updates about which places are open and what's on their menus. News outlets have used her as a first-person source on how the SGV's Asian American businesses have dealt with the coronavirus.
2: People here in the San Gabriel Valley were prepared for the pandemic about January, mid-January. They were already masked up and taking it very seriously. And that's about a month or two before everyone else started taking it seriously. In fact, people were getting bullied and harassed for wearing masks because people, other people didn't feel comfortable with that. What's really disturbing is that Asian restaurants, specifically Chinese restaurants, were hit prior to other places being hit. So, they had about 70 to 80% less business during this time. They lost 70 to 80% of their business. And the loss started before other places did, other restaurants. And if you go to Trader Joe's now, if you go to Whole Foods now, every single day, still you'll see a line out the door of people waiting to get, to have the opportunity to go and buy food from these places. There have been more outbreaks at Trader Joe's and Whole Foods than any of these Asian markets. And in fact, going to these Asian markets, not only have there not been lines, but everyone has not only had like basically a hazmat outfit on for every single person who's been checking you out, a face shield and also a face mask. So I felt actually much safer going to Asian establishments, these markets, getting my groceries there than going to Whole Foods and going to Ralph's and going to any of those places because everyone already kind of like had protocol down. They didn't need to wait for a governor to tell you you should be doing this. They already were doing it.
1: The area got a brief media spotlight during COVID. But without the drama of, shall we say, viral racism, the Valley has a pretty tough time getting represented in large publications.
2: I think a lot of the stories I pitch are from are not necessarily the places that get into the articles. A lot of times my editor is like, well, I don't see why someone would be interested in that. So there's been lots of times where I've pitched stories about all over the SGB, and they'll be like, well, does anyone care about that restaurant like does any, is anyone going to go there from like west side LA I'm like well I don't know if that's the point that I'm, that I'm trying to make here but so there's been many many times where I've read about other places and it just has not made the cut for certain people but I would love to do more work with like Hacienda Heights Walnut area I'd love to learn more about that but I am trying to open my eyes and go to as many places as I can but unfortunately For my own sake, I can definitely report on those places. But to get them on a bigger outlet, sometimes the editors are not as familiar with those places, and maybe they don't see the the opportunity. The
1: dollar signs,
2: right? Like, why does a small mom and pop in the middle of nowhere really matter? I'm like, oh, what that? But that's so cool to me. Like, I would go drive there for that. So, unfortunately, that's still kind of a tug of war game I'm playing myself.
1: To hang, it's a special place, though. She strives to portray the valley in a fuller context that pushes past stereotypes and locates Asian Americans historically in the region.
2: The thing about the San Gabriel Valley is it's a treasure trove of history. It's so interesting to me how I can go to local mall and then think about how Japanese people were interned there. Japanese Americans were interned at the racetracks, and people forget about that. The fact that San Marino was over 99% white at one point and their restaurants and some other businesses used to have signs that said, no Japanese allowed, no Chinese allowed. And that was only not too long ago. And the fact that now it's almost a Chinese majority is is a crazy kind of like karma in your face thing going on. But just the fact that people think it's Chinese, this, it's Chinese, that, but there's so many different ethnicities in the Gabriel Valley, and that's really contributed to its very diverse food scene. And it's just so exciting to me to get to do this for work every day, to get to eat. (laughs) That's my favorite part of it. But also to talk to people and to see what their family history is and just to be in such an exciting place.
1: That's food and travel journalist Christy Hang, Duchess of SGV. You can find links to all of her stories at ChristyHang.com, read her minute to minute meal and restaurant updates on Instagram, and definitely follow her on Twitter.
0: down to the with me.
1: Thanks for listening. Remember, for right now, we're releasing new shows every two weeks. In December, we go weekly for real. Our theme song is Carry Home by The Gun Club, courtesy of Manifesto Records. Our logo was designed by Felipe Flores. I'm Chris Greenspawn. This is SGV Weekly. So carry home, I
0: have returned Through so
2: many highways And so many tears
1: Yeah